where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Oh, Bonnie in the house. I love that opening where it just goes over and over and repeats. That's the voice of my co-producer, Ryan, Treasure VP of Broadcast Operations at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie, and we're here, and we have such an exciting show for you. We have a global audience. There are at least 50,000 of you a month tuning in. We recently ranked number four on the iTunes technology podcast list, and we're so grateful that you are listening and you love our content. So let's see what the buzz is today. I have four quotes, one from gizmodo.com, one from howtogeek.com, one from LifeWire, and one from the BBC. Let me read them, and this will set us up for what my esteemed panelists are going to be talking about today. So here's a quote from Gizmodo. Quote, I connected as many of my appliances and belongings as I could to the internet, an Amazon Echo, my lights, my coffee maker, my baby monitor, my kids' toys, my vacuum, my TV, my toothbrush, a photo frame, a sex toy, and even my bed to find out whether it would betray me. That's from someone who wrote The spy, the House That Spied on Me on Gizmodo. Here's a quote from How to Geek. In a world where we're all paranoid about devices spying on us, and rightfully so, perhaps no other devices receive more scrutiny than smart home products. But is that scrutiny warranted? Ooh, that's an important question. Here's the quote from LifeWire.com. Our take is, you should be cautious but not worried. Just about every smart device that is connected to the internet and offers personalized services is spying on you. And one last quote here. This is from, uh, let's see, this is from Kashmir Hill. She's a reporter for at the BBC and she wrote, writes, uh, she allowed innocent household items to spy on her. She turned her one-bedroom apartment into a smart home and was measuring how much data was being collected by the companies that made the devices. She writes, it was like living in in a commercial surveillance state with not a single hour of digital silence. Ooh. So we have four experts today on the show. We're going to ask for their take. And our topic officially, if you haven't guessed, is, is your smart home spying on you? And perhaps is your Airbnb home spying on you? And is this okay with you? We're going to be speaking with Ashwin Krishnan at Uber Knowledge, Christina Podnar, The Power of Digital Policy, Jessica Groupman at Kaleido Insights, and Fiona McAvoy at youthedata.com. So welcome to our listeners, welcome to our panelists, and let's start out with a round of introductions. Ashwin Krishnan, please introduce yourself to our audience. Go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie. So my name is Ashwin Krishnan. Uh, I'll start off with my mission statement, which is empathize, educate, and empower. And I bring that in in three forms. The first form as the COO of, uh, of cybersecurity evangelism and training firm called Uber Knowledge. I have the honor of uh, hosting many distinguished guest in the security side, mostly chief information security officers and privacy officers. And we talk about a variety of things, including diversity in tech, as well as some of the topics we're going to be talking about today. In my second avatar, which is something that I do on the side, which is really uh, talking about the tech and ethics where, through writing, through speaking, through being on radio shows like this one. Mm-hmm. And finally, on the third side, is, is just uh, elevating human goodness and looking for positivity and, and using that as inspiration for people to stretch themselves. So that's me in a nutshell. I love that. By the way, do you think it's okay if our smart homes are spying on us, Ashwin? Uh, We'll get into that. I mean, you mentioned Airbnb and the the article on Medium today. So this has been an ongoing thing where you have the ability for instrumenting, but we have two sides. I I call ourselves as cognitive business. As Airbnb hosts, we might have a particular perspective. As Airbnb guests, we might have a different perspective, and we'll get into that. So I'll, I'll hold my thoughts for a little bit longer. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let's move one seat around the table. It's a crowded table today. Christina Podnar, welcome, and please introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, Bonnie and everybody else. Uh, first Hi. of all, thanks for having me today. Pleasure. Um, so I basically help businesses create and uh, use digital and ethical and legal ways and making sure that when they're doing that, the digital efforts and the initiatives and the products and the services align to their organization value and that they really deliver competitive products 
and services to consumers. So making sure they balance out the risks and the opportunities that digital brings to the table. Very important. And the key word you said, Christina, was risk. I like that word because that's what we're talking about today. What's your take? Don't be afraid to give away your your thoughts on this. Is your smart home spying on you? And if it is and you're aware of it, is it okay with you? What's the balance? I think it's okay. You know, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, as long as it's being done in a transparent way so that you're actually aware of the fact that it is spying on you. Um, in which case, I guess it's not so much spying as it is, you know, looking and sharing um, and viewing you. Um, and so it's more of a partnership rather than a spy situation. But again, it has to be transparent. It has to be controlled by the individual. And ultimately, it has to deliver value. If not, then it really does revert back to spying in a very negative connotation. Thank you. That was an interesting take. Appreciate that. Let's move around the table to Jessica Groupman. Jessica, welcome. And please introduce yourself. All right. Thank you, Bonnie, and hello, panelists, and hello, audience. Um, I'm Jessica Grootman. I'm an industry analyst and founding partner at Kaleido Insights. We're a research and advisory firm, um, and we cover a, a number of emerging technologies. We look across the board at about 30 different emerging techs, and we look not just at the technologies, but how they impact people, uh, consumers, how they impact organizations and businesses, and also how they impact more and more ecosystems, society. Um, I focus a lot on uh, artificial intelligence, on connected devices in the home and the Internet of Things, as well as the, the wonky world of blockchain. Um, but I have kind of a funny background for a technologist and particularly for, for an analyst. Um, my, my research background is actually in anthropology. So I tend to be more motivated and focused less on kind of the specific technical nuts and bolts, although they're important, um, and really look at the human determinants. So I've been covering privacy and security, identity, user experience, increasing focus on this thing we're calling ethics or responsible use of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what, what I focus on. And we help companies primarily with research, with um, content and market strategies. Thank you, Jessica. What's your thought? Is your home spying on you or is it a collaborative, hopefully transparent partnership as Christina just shared with us? What do you think? Well, to me, it all comes down to informed consent. Um, Are we Mm -hmm. aware that our homes are collecting our data? And and maybe most importantly, how is that data being used? Uh, If we're aware of that, then it's just a matter of any, like any other agreement that we have with organizations or service providers. Uh, But the big question is transparency and awareness. Thank you. I think awareness is the key there because most people are not. We hear about it on the news. Alexa is recording everything you say when you don't know she is. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I think those, those are the wake-up calls when you read about it. You hear about it on a, on a radio show or TV. Thank you, Jessica. And last chair around the table, welcoming Fiona McAvoy. Fiona, welcome, and please tell us who you are. Hi. Um, great to be here. I'm, I'm Fiona you. McAvoy, as you pointed out. I am a... Uh, a blogger, an academic researcher, a writer, and a speaker, uh, and the founder of youthedata.com, which is really a platform to look at tech ethics uh, and anything around society and the impact that new technologies are having. Uh, My background is actually in in the humanities and philosophy. I did my uh, master's thesis on the ethics of tech a little while ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so I I, I specialize in that. And uh, my platform is kind of a uh, an area where people can, lots of different people can express views about how technology is affecting human beings in the world. Thank you very much. And is your home in partnership with you? Are you aware of what it's collecting, what it's sharing? Is that okay with you, Fiona? Uh, not, not under the current, uh, the current arrangement, which I think is frankly woeful. Um, transparency is not a, is not a one one-stage process. Knowing that your home is spying is just one piece of the puzzle. We need to know, as one of your other guests touched upon, uh, exactly what that information is being used for and, and how it is affecting us as users as an on, in an ongoing basis. Thank you very much. Thank you all for the introductions. Now it's the part of the show where I'm going to read the opening quote, inspirational, provocative. Each of you sent me from a book, a movie, a song, a play, a person, famous or not so much, and you're going to tell me what it means for the future of our topic here. The show is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now, and as we say in the intro, the future of now hasn't happened yet. If people tell you the future is already here, that was yesterday's future. Today's future, now it's not here yet until after I finish my sentence, and then we're in the future. So there. So uh, Ashwin 
Krishnan has sent us a quote from Alvin Toffler, the author of What an Appropriate Book, Ashwin Future Shock. Uh, Alvin Toffler, 1928 to 2016, American writer, futurist, and businessman. He was an associate editor of Fortune magazine. He focused on tech and its impact. He coined the term information overload, OMG. And his first major book about the future, Future Shock, was a worldwide bestseller and has sold only over 6 million copies, probably still going strong. Here's the quote Ashwin has suggested to us and has offered. And Ashwin, you're going to explain this, how it relates to our topic. The quote is, dizzying disorientation brought on by the premature arrival of the future. I love that. Ashwin, what's this all about? Yeah, I mean, so this this particular book and uh, was, was I mean, it was written I think about three decades ago, right? But it's highly relevant to where we are today. And and the quote that you t- talked about, which is about the dizzying disorientation, and all my esteemed panelists talking about awareness and and risk and transparency. Mm-hmm. The challenge that I see right now is the fact that it's not just one home device. And you you mentioned the uh, the article from Gizmodo, which talks about uh, connected thermometer to a coffee maker to a television, et cetera, et cetera, right? So uh, it is dizzying for the average person to understand how many IP addresses are there, how many connected devices are there, how many microphones are there, how many smart speakers are there, embedded as well as standalone. It is extremely dizzying. So that's one. I think the second piece about the future is uh, exactly what, uh, uh, what, what Jessica and, and Fiona were talking about earlier, which is there is no awareness about what these devices are doing. And so, therefore, uh, and this is the talk about the future because the vendors are aware. And in some cases, I would even mm-hmm. argue the algorithms themselves are evolving. So the future is, is in the hands of software that is housed by the vendors and the software developers, and yet it's in our homes doing stuff that we're not aware of. So the future is here, but we're not aware of it. And second, there's just a number of devices. What they can do is extremely dizzying. So I think that whole thing leads to two. One is we we become pumpkins and we pretend this doesn't exist. (laughs) Or we get, we get, we start really digging deep. And at that point, we get disoriented because it's just too much, too much information. And the OMG that you talked about, which is really Yes, I mean, we have information overload. Now we have smart home device information overload. Thank you very much. I wonder if a smart home device, Ashwin, ever says, oh, they're saying too much over there. I'm just going to shut down for a while. They're boring me or they're annoying me or they're taxing me too much. I can't put up with everything that's going on in this house. I'm just not going to listen. Wouldn't that be interesting? And that gets into AI and machine learning and the deep learning part of the robotics world. Yes, we're not going to go there, but that would be kind of funny if they, I'm not going to listen to her anymore. Christina has sent us a quote from Daft Punk, harder, better, faster. Faster, stronger. They're a French duo. They first released this single in October of 2001. Uh, it won the live version, won a Grammy Award for Best Dance Recording in 2009, and it has won all kinds of awards since then. So here is the quote Work it, make it, do it makes us harder, better, faster, stronger. Christina, you have to unpack this for me. I have no idea what this is. Talk to me. Well, you know what? It's interesting. I chose that quote um, in reaction, really, to a lot of what I'm hearing in the industry. In fact, um, I think it was an Inc. magazine earlier this year in the February-March timeframe that really said, you know, smarter homes and all this technology is not good for us. It's making us, you know, addicted to technology from a notifications perspective. It's making us dumber. And it's really ensuring that, you know, we connect with technology and not people. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think that what technology is doing, first of all, you know, is giving us the opportunity to create things that are better and stronger and faster, right, to always sort of improve upon our environment, on ourselves, et cetera. But I think it's actually quite freeing to us as individuals to have our smart homes or our devices or technology support us so we can get rid of all of those really crazy little tasks that we inherently either worry about and they fill up our brains with things we don't need to be thinking about or they're just really not a good use of our time. And that means that we can actually be freed up to think about things that do matter, that are creative, um, that are innovative, uh, things that actually make us more productive as individuals and make us connect with our families and each other in more meaningful ways. And so I kind of see this quote as, you know, being a reflection on where we are from an industry perspective, really kind of going faster and stronger towards more innovative things 
But I also see that happening on the human side, and I think it's a really exciting time for all of us. Um, certainly, you know, a little bit scary, too, but also fun and exciting. Thank you very much. I like the fun and exciting, and I'll just add to the fun part. Um, I sometimes, if I'm alone in the house, which I am often because I work from a home broadcast studio, <laughs> if I'm lonely, I'll just say, Alexa, hi, tell me a joke, tell me a story, <laughs> and I use her for social companionship sometimes. I hope that doesn't make mm-hmm. me sound extremely lonely and odd, but there is a there is a social companionship to it. She may be recording the questions I'm asking her, but anyway, thank you very much, Christina. Jessica Gru- Before I get too maudlin here, let me read your quote. This is an anonymous quote, unknown source, but it's very popularly used online. Let me read it, and you can explain how it relates to our topic. The Stone Age was marked by humans' clever use of crude tools. The information age to date has been marked by our crude use of clever tools. So we have the flip of the clever and the crude. Jessica, I love the quote. Tell me what this has, has to do with our topic. Go ahead. Yeah, I love this quote, too. It's, uh, I mean, this is where we are, right? We suddenly, or maybe not so suddenly, have so many new, unbelievable, and unbelievably sophisticated technologies. I don't think any of us could deny, you know, mm-hmm. from artificial intelligence, we're teaching our machines to, to speak human language, to perceive space, to, to learn and recognize patterns, and all manner of other technologies. Uh, this stuff is, is, is very sophisticated and indeed very clever. Uh, but I think so much of what sort of characterizes the technology space right now and so many of the questions we're beginning to ask is this historically crude use, or at least um, we are beginning to run into a wide spectrum of unintended consequences of these very clever tools. Um, as an anthropology geek, this one really resonates for me because, you know, technology is always tied to our evolution. It's tied to how we communicate, how we, you know, transact, how we think about our own economics, how we protect ourselves. Um, And certainly nothing is new now from that standpoint. We just have a new set of tools, an emerging set of tools to do so. Um, But I think really where we are is to begin to think about these unintended consequences um, Mm. and not just sort of, you know, kind of approach technology with this mindset of when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. Or in other words, building technologies just because we can uh, purely for feasibility sake, purely for even revenue sake, but but to zoom out and think about, well, why are we doing this? What are the consequences uh, to multiple different types of users? Um, how do we not sort of think about uh, just the capabilities of these tools, but, but how to responsibly use them? And really transition from, from crude use to more clever, more responsible use of these very, very clever tools. And in terms of the smart home, um, to me, this has always been one of the most interesting spaces to track, domains, if you like, uh, because this is where these tools are falling into everyone's hands, not mm-hmm. just technologists, not just business folks um, or, you know, specific industries, but children's. Um, some children, you know, yes. Alexa is one of the first uh, technologies they'll ever interact with. Um, parents, uh, the elderly, all of us, right? We are all experiencing this in our most intimate domain of the home. And so to me, this, this quote really rings uh, an important uh, in this moment. Thank you very much. And I, I was very intrigued by the juxtaposition of crude and clever in the two two parts of the quote, uh, Jessica. Very, very interesting. It's, it's a little bit of condemnation in there, I think, because crude can be interpreted in many different ways. Thank you. Very provocative. And that's what we love. Let's move around to Fiona McAvoy. Fiona has sent us a quote from Margaret Mead. Some of our young listeners may not know who she was. 1901 to 1978, American cultural anthropologist, speaker and author in the mass media, uh, got her bar- got her bachelor's at Barnard College in New York City, MA and PhD in Columbia. Okay, she was the president of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in 1975, and I'm going to say that perhaps she was one of the early women in STEM. She was a communicator of anthropology in modern American and Western culture, and often controversial as an academic. I'm going to leave that alone. Look her up, M-E-A-D, Margaret Mead. Here's the quote. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. I see so much much positivity in that. Fiona, please tell us how this has to do with our topic today. I love it. Go ahead. Yeah, I love this quote. And uh, it's the one that's kind of stayed with me. And I don't think there's actually a lot of context to it, but I think uh, I don't think it needs it necessarily. Uh, I think in the context of, of our conversation, what I really thought it could refer to 
is the the information imbalance we find ourselves in at the moment. Um, there are uh, a relatively small number of companies that are collecting huge swathes of data that pertain to our behaviours and to us as people. Um, you know, we've we've heard it all before, but but just to say again, you know, at any one time there are you know big tech companies that know where you are. They probably know who you're with. They know what you like. They know when you're sad and they know when you're stressed. They know who you emailed today and they know probably who you're going to email tomorrow. They can probably predict what Netflix movie you'll watch this weekend or, and what other types of things you might do with your loved ones. They essentially know more about us than we do about ourselves. And, and that's quite overwhelming. Uh, and to a certain degree, it's unprecedented. And I think uh, there's a tendency to submit to that. I mean, I, I taught a class uh, at SS State. It was uh, the philosophy of um, mor- morality and politics. And I asked the kids in that class, who were kind of 17, 18, what they, what they felt about this. And actually, they, they kind of thought it was an inevitability. Uh, and I think that's sad. Um, I mean, it feels a little bit like we've almost been demoted to the to the, the status of lab rats. We're being watched. We're being experimented on. There are people using our data and redeploying mm-hmm. it in ways that change our choices and make our lives different. And oh, I think yeah. it's important that we start to acknowledge this and, and people start to speak out against it. I mean, I think, and I say this often, but it's true. Um, if you believe that who you are, as a human being, is, is in any way constituted by your choices. So um, what your haircut is, uh, who your partner is, where you went to school, where you mm-hmm. buy your groceries. Uh, if you think that is constitutive of who you are, then actually there are, there are external companies out there trying to change those choices. And, and in a way, that seems to me that they're trying to shape who you are in the world, who you are as a human being and your life. And, and I find that somewhat objectionable, especially as it's being done to a certain degree without our knowledge. It's been done in a way that tricks our our cognitive flaws and our biases. So, yeah, I I like this quote because I think it's to do with um, citizens thinking a little bit more about their predicament. And and even though they might feel like the David in the David and Goliath scenario, uh, Mm -hmm. reacting against that and speaking up against it. Thank you very much. We've got a lot of provocative quotes here and a lot of provocative comments on them. Thank you to my panelists. Uh, I have a quick question for all of you. One of you just mentioned, I don't remember whether it was, uh, was it Christina or Jessica mentioned we often use the devices in our smart homes to help us with tasks that are small or medium in terms of effort that we can do without. In other words, they help to automate or take over things for us. So I'm going to ask my panelists, wouldn't you love something that could combine little apps, big apps? apps and put them together in a flow that will help you get your work better on the count of three. I want you to all say yes. One, two, three. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now I'm going to welcome back our sponsor, Zapier. Zapier, grow, let me give you a little background. Growing a business is hard, and my four panelists know that, especially when you're spending hours every day moving data from email to spreadsheets. Do you still use those to your CRM, to wherever? Shouldn't that stuff just happen without you having to lift a finger? Well, more than four and a half million business people are saving an average of 40 hours a month. That's right. By using Zapier, I'll spell it Z-A-P-I-E-R. It's the easiest way to automate your work and it's not listening to you, by the way. Build your own customized flow with just a few clicks. It connects your business software and handles the work for you so you can pay attention to your priorities. Stay with the tools you need. It connects more web apps than any other service and adds new options every week. Let me give you an example. Zapier integrates with apps like Facebook Lead ads, Slack, QuickBooks, Google Sheets, Google Docs, and many more. It supports more than 1,500 business applications, so the possibilities are endless. Here's an example. Set a trigger when you receive an email in Gmail. Set an action to copy the attachment from that Gmail to your Dropbox. Then set an alert in Slack to notify you about the new Dropbox file. Zapier has simple fill-in-the-blank setup, point-click automate, go with the workflow in minutes. Ready to try it? I have a special link for you. Go to Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash and the word revolution, R-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N because this show is Technology Revolution. Connect the apps you use the most and let Zapier do the rest for you. You can use Zapier without writing code. You don't need a developer to help you. It's just do it on your own and make it happen. So right now through the end of November... 
Try Zapier free. What's better than that? By going to our special link, Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash revolution for your free 14-day trial, Zapier.com slash revolution. And welcome back to our sponsor, Zapier. So now it's time in the show that we're going to start with the predictions round. I have four experts on the topic. If you're just tuning in, this is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. We're live here on Wednesday, November 6, 2019. We are hurtling toward 2020, and that's exciting. Our topic is smart home, smart living. Is your home spying on you, and is this okay? We have a variety of opinions here on the panel. I'm speaking today with four experts. As I said, we have Ashwin Krishnan at Uber Knowledge. We have Christina Podnar at The Power of Digital Policy. We have Jessica Groupman at Kaleido Insights, and Fiona McAvoy at You, The Day. Data.com. Love that. Now, we're going to start off with a prediction. I'll read the first prediction from each panelist, and why don't you take about 90 seconds to tell us what it means to you, and then we'll see how many predictions we can cover. Ashwin, you're up first. Prediction number one, we will move from hub economies to spoke economies. you got to help me with that in terms of smart home, and is it spying? Go ahead, Ashwin. Yeah, so uh, we, we touched on it briefly over here in terms of number of devices and uh, the, the concern that we all legitimately have as to who, who are the big big sevens and maybe the big 15s of the world collecting data on us. But I have a different take on this. I mean, while I agree with that, I also think that you and me as individuals also have a responsibility in terms of what we collect. And I've tried this with about 20 of my friends, and each time they come up with blank stares. And the question is very simple. So if you have an Alexa at home or a, a Google Home or a Siri, doesn't matter, and your neighbor, uh, who's unfortunately, let's say, going through a divorce, and she stops by and starts talking to you about it, do you let her know beforehand that the conversation may be recorded by a smart speaker in your home? Ooh. And every time they look at me with, with, uh, with, with glazed eyes, and these are all tech people, by the way, right? And so the reason yeah. I say this is, uh, and you mentioned Airbnb too, right? As, yes. As we get more instrument, we, we become the purveyors, collectors of information. We are mm. ourselves becoming spokes. And therefore, uh, while, it's, while it's definitely uh, important to understand what the big guys are doing and, and ensure that we are able to put them uh, through the paces so that they evolve themselves, I think there's a moral responsibility to understand what is it that we can do ourselves to learn more about it so that when we go into our day job, we can take those learnings and build a better product. So that's what I mean by hub economies to spoke economies. And as we get into this world, uh, we will learn more if we start becoming data custodians, data collectors, and predictors even, I would argue, especially with things like edge computing, we can actually have data storage and algorithms that are available out there. So you can actually do more with what data you collect already. That's fascinating. Uh, the idea of saying to someone, hey, Alexa is on and anything you say might be recorded and used for you. Or, I never thought of it. Thank you, Ashwin. Christina's number one prediction. This is good. Mesh network systems will become standard, ensuring that more homes are connected and better connected. Oh, Christina, tell me more, please. Well, I think, you know, we're just uh, sort of at the beginning uh, of the evolution, if you will, in terms of uh, smart homes and how connected they can be. And I think about the fact that certain parts of my house that I go into, you know, the Wi-Fi just signal isn't as strong. It drops. And so I get annoyed mm-hmm. by things like Netflix being interrupted, um, et cetera. So that's on a very practical level. But I think that as we start to see interconnected devices, when the coffee maker talks to Alexa, that's when we're going to see not just coverage throughout the house from a practical perspective, but we're going to actually start to see a coverage of data, if you will. So, Bonnie, that might mean that, you know, if you're feeling a little bit lonely because you haven't left the house in two days, you've been busy in your studio working, and you say hi to Alexa, she can say hi back to you. But maybe we start to notice things like, you know, you haven't made as much coffee in the last two days because your coffee maker can tell us that you haven't drunk as much coffee. Or maybe, as uh, Ashwin said, you know, neighbor hasn't stopped by because we haven't heard any outside activity. Um, And we start to notice some changes in maybe, you know, you're a little bit more depressed than usual, we can actually have your smart home reach out to family and friends and let them know so that we can get support to you if you need that. Or perhaps uh, your doctor can be notified, et cetera. So I think it's the exciting part where it's not just about having practical connectivity inside of the home, but having the data that's coming from those sources connect together to support us as individuals and also society. So I think that's really kind of my big prediction, that we need that infrastructure of uh, mesh networks and network systems, connecting those devices to make that a reality. 
Thank you. Fascinating. I'm I'm very I'm learning a lot from all of you. Thank you. Jessica Grootman, I'm looking at your prediction number one. There's a lot of information here. I'm gonna jump down to the middle of it because that's what I think is the most provocative. You say when screens go away, our bodies become our digital interface. Why don't you unpack this for us, please, Jessica? Sure. So, yeah, we are in a, a phase one of, of changing the interface of the Internet. When we think of the Internet today, we often think of things like laptops or mobile devices. Um, but as we all have, have become familiar, we're beginning to talk to our devices. We're gesturing with our devices. Our devices are reading our faces, uh, our emotions even, our fingerprints, heart rate variability, uh, in some cases even genetics depending on the application. Um, so when we stop reading our screens, when we shift from kind of this tap-and-touch interface that we're accustomed to, um, what happens is that our bodies are used, our machines read us, in effect. Our bodies, our biometrics are sensed uh, to interact with us and to inform, you know, how, how they respond, how they deliver us information, um, and so forth. And so, you know, I think this is critical to understand because, one, we're in sort of the early phases of this, but, two, this introduces a whole new paradigm when we think about this, you know, quote-unquote privacy convenience trade-off. Today we think of, okay, maybe you know my search history or my transaction history, but I get a lot of services in exchange for it. Um, But how do we rethink about that, uh, you know, contract or that value proposition um, when it's not about search history but it's about – medical uh, or health history mm-hmm. or, or real-time uh, health implication. Um, you know, this is, this is sort of nowhere more relevant than in the home because this is the, again, as I said before, this is where we are becoming accustomed to uh, voice recognition and some of these first applications, some of these killer apps, if you like, around um, uh, voice recognition, facial recognition. Today, I think uh, the, the smart speaker market is, is already penetrated about a quarter of American homes, which is a, a, took the smart home space generally a very long time to get there, and that was really the catalyst for it. Um, by the way, voice is a personally identifiable biometric. Cameras are also one of the number one uh, devices in the smart home in terms of sales. Um, increasingly, cameras are outfitted with facial recognition. So this introduces a whole new realm in terms of, like I said, that trade-off, but also this big question around legal or liability questions. Um, you know, for example, there are some laws on the books when we talk about biometrics. Um, although we are struggling to get a federal data privacy law in place, so there's some kind of legal precedent for biometrics. Does that apply here? When? And what, you know, use cases? Um, but also, as Ashman was getting at, kind of this, this pressing question around data ownership. Today, uh, individuals, you know, do not have control or inventory or real uh, agency over how their data is used. But does that fundamentally change when we start talking about our own personally identifiable biometrics? And again, the home is sort of the starting point for this. Thank you very much. Interesting. Fiona McAvoy, I'm looking at your number one prediction. It seems similar. Let me read it. It seems similar to Jessica's, and I'm ready to jump to number two. So you tell me if you want to talk about this. The number one prediction you said was the rise of neural, N-E-U-R-A-L, interfaces. Both Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg have been placing bets on brain-computer interfaces that can read electrical impulses in our brain as instructions in the near future. This could result in hands-free interaction with smart home devices. Do you want to talk about that? one, Fiona, or you want me to go to number two? Uh, Go to number two. Go to number two. It might be more different. Okay, that's fine. So here, number two, she says an anti-smart home movement, thanks to books like The Age of Surveillance, Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff, and nervousness about homes that are increasingly susceptible to hacks. We will see a willful rejection of smart home devices, particularly by Gen Z. Oh, there we go. So tell me about this one. Go ahead, Fiona. Yeah, so this is uh, this is kind of out there, uh, and I appreciate that. But I wanted to kind of throw the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit in the conversation. Um, I think people are becoming more cynical about this stuff. Um, I, I think that uh, you know, and I do a lot of kind of speaking at various events, and even within the tech community, I think there's now an acknowledgement that people aren't uh, just. Uh, kind of opening their arms and accepting every device without knowing the consequences. And yeah, I don't know if um, if anyone's read the book in question, but it paints a pretty dark picture of some of the practices that are going on at the moment in terms of data collection. Um, I think 
certainly uh, people are going to be, especially younger people, are going to be um, scrutinizing devices more closely. And, and I think there's a resistance to becoming as predictable as companies want us to be. So we've spoken a little about convenience and how great it would be for our, you know, our Alexa to talk to our coffee machine to, you know, interface with our uh, email or our calendar and, and know exactly what our daily routine is and what we like and dislike. And that worries me and it should worry all of us because actually it means that we're very, very predictable. Um, I don't want to be as predictable as they want me to be. And yet it's convenient for the companies that produce this hardware and software. Uh, for us to become these creatures of habit. Um, actually, human beings aren't creatures of habit. We we make different decisions all the time. We evolve as human beings and as people. Our characters change over the years that we're alive. And I think it's kind of sad that we're being lulled into a situation whereby we think that becoming predictable and having that predictability served is, is something, you know, it's kind of massive convenience. And so... I think it's like the fact we're having this conversation now, look, I've been mm-hmm. talking about this stuff for a few years now, and the fact we're having this conversation now suggests that we are uh, becoming a little bit more skeptical about benefits of these technologies. And I expect that will grow. Um, you know, we can see various forms of, of, of regulation and legislation being introduced around privacy. And now the conversation has extended to go beyond just personal identifying information to behavioral data that's amassed and used to categorize us into types and then persuade those types or nudge those types in different directions. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know whether it's imminent, but I think there's a, a groundswell of dissent when it comes to us mm-hmm. being, uh, as I say, these kind of lab rats that, you know, welcome devices that are rigged and connected into every aspect of our lives. Um, I don't think Gen Z, who have already said they don't really see the point in voice voice control and stuff like that, there's various statistics to say that they're pretty they're, they're pretty anti a lot of the technology that we think is newfangled and fantastic. Um, and, I, and I think actually it'd be interesting to see uh, how how their uh, how their skepticism progresses and whether or not we're going to see a, a bit of a dismantling of the smart home, um, you know, which would be a, obviously a, a, a movement away from what we've got at the moment, which is this full on embrace. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I'm going to make another round the table with another prediction. Let's see how much we can do. We've got about 17 minutes left to the show, so let's keep them tight. Ashwin, I'm looking at your number two prediction. This is interesting. You say organizations that embrace ethics over everything, profits, regulations, and investors will start seeing dramatic customer loyalty translated to revenue and growth. Talk to me, Ashwin. So let me let me start with an example, and this happened. Uh, I believe it was about uh, three weeks ago. It was published in the Your Opinion section of the San Jose Mercury News, and it was actually interestingly authored by a CEO of a tech company. And this is what happened. So he had uh, Google Nest Guard at home. Uh, he has a six-month-old and a nanny who takes care of the babies. And his wife and he have access, and and the nanny can talk to them over the Nest Guard, um, and they can they can watch her and the baby as well. So one day he gets a call from the nanny saying, hey, uh, have you given uh, somebody else authorization to talk to me over the Nest Card? And he was surprised. He says, no. He says, hey, it's this person who's talking to me over the Google Nest Card. And as, as a worried dad, obviously, he was, he was extremely concerned. He called his wife, and she had no idea. So they rushed home. And during that period, uh, there's a lady and a man who's talking to the nanny. So long story short, uh, apparently their credentials were compromised over the Internet, and there's mm. a dark market for that, and they tried out on various websites, and they were able to get into the, uh, get into the system. Uh, so let's hit the pause button over there. What would Google's response be now with something like this happening? And here is what Google said. Uh, when they called support, they said, hey, you didn't have two-factor authentication or 2FA enabled, right? So that was the standard mm-hmm. customer support dialogue. When they escalated, they came back and said, hey, this is not a hardware problem. The Google Nest was not, not compromised, so therefore it's not a Google problem. And so I'll hit a pause over there, which is, uh, so these are devices, they are listening, speaking. So the question about morality, the question about, yes, credentials are compromised, and therefore people were able to get access to them. Is there a higher bar? So because now you've actually, you, you've, You've broken the barrier. You've actually entered into the home. And exactly like uh, uh, Fiona, Christina, and, and Jessica were talking about, these are all going to get increasingly more connected. So what if the copper machine actually has a lateral attack on the connected mattress? Who mm-hmm. bonuses it? So I think uh, right now there are really two schools of thought. One is 
hey, let's let's pretend that we just own our own side of the business. The other side, which is somewhat scary, but maybe there's redemption over here, is at least the big ones are starting to create an ecosystem. So they are the ones, so it, it's, whether it's uh, Amazon or, or Google or, or uh, Facebook or Apple, I don't care. But the point is, uh, there is a, a an authority that ultimately has accountability, and today there isn't. So uh, at this point in time, where we don't have that single authority. Uh, whether we should or shouldn't is a different story, but I'm just predicting that that might happen. But right now, there isn't a single vendor out there that I can point to and say, okay, this particular vendor actually goes above and beyond. And this, this particular incident just reminded me of that, that glaring uh, mm-hmm. challenge that we have even as we get instrumented. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Christina, I'm reading your prediction number three. I like this one. Homes with smart devices will continue to help increase energy efficiency. You gave a great great example here. You say we can expect more and broader home operations like heating, cooling, lights, even operating your oven to be driven passively through behavior monitoring and conversations such as making lasagna when oh, I'm hungry for dinner on Friday when the Smiths are coming over. The oven preheats at the time required for you to put the lasagna in, so it's perfect when your guests arrive. Really? Christina, tell me, when is this coming to an oven near me soon? Go ahead. <laughs> well, you know what? I wouldn't hold my breath. You might turn blue because I don't think it's as soon as we would like it to come. Um, and again, you know, I, I would agree with my co-panelists. It's not just about us as individuals inside of the smart home. It's really ensuring that you have the consent of the Smiths who are driving over to your place and can actually track them and understand, you know, the proximity to your house of the Smiths before they arrive and so the oven can turn itself on. But I think we are definitely going in that direction where we're going to become less wasteful uh, with the resources that we do have, which I think is the good news about the smart home and the technology that's coming. And I know that we're just seeing the beginning of it with things like Nest, understanding when we're home, when we leave, uh, geofencing for other things like water. Um, you know, I love the fact that my washing machine can actually be turned on right now when I'm close to the house, uh, but not in the house necessarily, depending on the value of electricity and the cost of electricity. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's really great opportunities for us not to just exploit this technology for personal convenience and gain, but also to really kind of think about the broader environment, the sharing of resources globally, and what our responsibilities are from an individual ethical perspective um, as consumers. So we're definitely going in that direction, but we're still at the very forefront, and I don't think we're going to see that lasagna baking in your oven (laughs) at the exact right moment for at least another uh, 10 years. Oh, I won't care at that point. Okay. I'm looking at (laughs) Jessica Groupman, prediction number two. The home is where the future of health care wants to be, remote patient care, care for the elderly, disabled. Talk to me, Jessica. Go ahead. Two minutes. Um, Yeah. So this is tied to that first prediction around biometrics, but in effect, mm-hmm. you can think of biometrics as sort of laying, laying groundwork there. Um, we are already watching, uh, just last week, Google acquired Fitbit for $2.1 billion, buying their way into second place from a market uh, share standpoint. Um, Apple, Amazon are all working to not just sort of uh, develop more wearables, um, but really specialize uh, and, and make as accurate as possible heart rate variability and many other biometric sensing capabilities. Um, meanwhile, of course, the trend in healthcare is to push more um, to the edge, if you like, to the device using mobile for all kinds of mobile health applications, um, for remote patient care, uh, for more, you know, for example, uh, the elderly and, and disabled folks, offering them a better level of care in the home or using multiple caregivers, uh, you know, kind of centralized through a specific app. Um, we're watching the sort of traditional wellness industry explode right now mm-hmm. as everyone from consumer packaged goods companies to food and beverage and agriculture and pharmaceuticals are really asking this question of, of how to really meet the end user in their home. Uh, or at their device level, uh, kind of shifting what has historically been a kind of disease-oriented industry, healthcare, uh, to one that is centered around the individual and is more predictive uh, and is more kind of wellness and real-time based rather than just kind of a sick care once we have a problem. And so, again, from uh, the elderly standpoint or remote patient care to real-time medication adherence, there's all kinds of different examples of uh, healthcare trying to push into the home. But meanwhile, it's big tech who not only are the developers of mobile devices um, and have this massive access to billions of users, uh, but also have some of the best talent around big data and artificial intelligence in, in the world. 
Thank you, Jessica. A lot of good optimism in there. And yes, awareness, transparency, who's getting my data, what doctor or healthcare system is getting it, is there anything private in there? It's a whole mm-hmm. can of worms in there. Good and the bad and possibly the ugly. Fiona, I'm looking at your prediction number three. This is kind of a scary one. You say mass workplace surveillance. By 2020, Gartner says 80% of businesses will be doing the same as monitoring our behavioral data as smart home devices like Alexa move into our offices. We will find ourselves under observation and even more of the environments we inhabit. Fiona, talk to me. Two minutes. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm such a negative Nelly, aren't I, in this conversation? No, 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 we like the point-counterpoint. <laughs> we love that. Go ahead. It's so, perfect. So this just pertains to a report, and I, I don't know if any of the other panelists saw this, that came out with a Gartner report uh, beginning of last month, so it's, it's pretty fresh. And they say if you work for a medium to large size company right now, there's about a 50-50 chance that someone within your organization is gathering your data and analyzing it for various trends and moods and those kind of things. Uh, they, they estimate by 2020, so next year, that about 80% of firms will be doing this. Um, so this is uh, anonymized data, but nevertheless, it's looking at uh, emails, uh, messages, whether on a kind of internal messenger system, uh, certain types of biometrics. The one that kind of frightened me, actually, and I, 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 I actually had no idea that this was a practice, was using the camera in your, uh, your workplace laptop to examine your face and read emotions. Apparently, according to the report, this is relatively prevalent. So using that kind of emotion detection technology to understand if you are uh, frustrated or if you're depressed or if you're, uh, you know, or if you're elated, I guess, as well. It works both ways. And the rationale that's being given, which is, is kind of understandable, is um, for, for years and years now we've collected surveys and stats. We've tried to, we've tried to assess whether they're happy in the workplace. Uh, and, and that's really come from soliciting feedback from them, verbal feedback or written feedback. And it requires that they kind of stand up and be counted. Whereas uh, the workplaces that are using this kind of monitoring say, well, we don't need to wait for someone to squeak because they're unhappy. We Mm -hmm. can monitor various things. We can look at the tone of their messages. We can look for certain triggers or certain uh, flashpoints where we know that, you know, there is something going on. There is a problem internally. And we can address it without someone having to tell us directly. And I I think that sounds like a reasonable rationale. But nevertheless, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people would be perturbed by the fact that this is going on. And just to say the natural extension of this, which is already happening in China, is that those brain-computer interfaces are being inserted in helmets and hats of people in various workplaces to, mm-hmm. to read their moods and emotions with the exact same rationale. We just want to know that you're happy. So I think we need to think about <laughs> mission creep a little bit. Uh, and yeah, and I think it's, it's, you know, it's an interesting progression and something that I feel a lot of people don't realize is happening. It redefines the meaning of happiness. There was a whole article on, are we, are we working too hard at being happy? Has it become a competitive thing? What does it really mean? I posted it on uh, Twitter a couple of days ago. I'll look for it and send it to all of you. I think we have time to squeeze in one more prediction, maybe two. Ashwin, I love prediction number three. I want to make sure we do this. You say personal AI agent, a.k.a. our AI person, Jeeves, will become our conscience, our alter ego, and our protector. Due to the growing importance of this entity, it will become the target for cyber criminals, having our own AI bouncer watching over what device we bring in, what vulnerabilities have been reported, and reporting deviations from the norm. It's like our own SOC, Security Operations Center for our home. It sounds really otherworldly. Ashwin, can you tell me about this in two minutes? I'd love to hear it, please. Yeah, so let me quickly make an analogy, right? When I, yeah. I'm going back to the screen laptop world. Uh, so I use DuckDuckGo for searching. I use the Brave browser, and I use Google for everything else. I never use a Chrome browser. I never use Google search. Now, so there's a conscious opt-in to understand the, the reason why I do this so that I'm giving less of my data to this single hub economy. Now, translate that into your smart home. Where you, it's Literally, you don't have the screen interface. And just like uh, uh, Jessica was talking about earlier, that's going away, and you have this human interface, you have this cognitive interface, uh, you have the biometric interface. So the challenge with that is 
uh, what do you, I mean, how, who, who's there to help you? So this whole question about the AI custodian, and, and there, is, there is actually uh, books written about it, one called Radical Markets, Approaching Capitalism and Democracy for a Just Society by Eric Posner and Glenn Weil. But the, but the argument over here is that is somebody that is looking out for you, your man Jeeves. And mm-hmm. this, this entity is actually understanding what you've been doing. And exactly like you were talking about, uh, Christina was talking about earlier about lasagna, is, hey, what, what, are the, what, what is the entirety of your ecosystem and what are you doing today? And should you be talking to Alexa right now or is it better to wait 24 hours before you engage because you've already given too much data to Amazon today? Right? Mm-hmm. And just one example of that. Or, or uh, like you were saying, uh, Bonnie, about just feeling uh, a little bit uh, socially uprooted because you're sitting at home and you're asking Alexa for help versus saying, hey, don't ask Alexa, why don't you ask Google Home? Right, so uh, and, and also, the other bigger challenges is with so many vulnerabilities, CDEs and things going on and exposés happening every single day, that all gets factored in so that your interaction is taking into account everything that's happening in the society at large. So, so you feel much more secure with somebody who's taking care of you. So that's the argument. Thank you very much. I have time for a 30-second comment from Jessica. Here's one I don't think we covered. You see, the home is kids' entry point for technology and where early imprinting occurs around tech use, digital digital citizenship, the new parenting mandate. 30-second comment, Jessica, and then we got to wrap up, please. Sure. This is this is really critical because just like in other realms of life, um, parents play this essential role of, of creating these templates for consumption, for how we handle problems, for relationships, uh, you name it. And technology is no different. Uh, we've really been focusing on this particular area of, of children's online safety at Kaleido Insights. Uh, and we what we're seeing is that, you know, how parents are managing this is is across the board. And by the way, so is schools. Or so are schools, and and so it's critical to kind of standardize what are we talking about in terms of kids' online safety, and how do we use these critical moments in child development to teach these skills, to teach about how we interact with people online, what is online content, how do we mm-hmm. think about it, you know, what is conduct, uh, and so forth. And so you know, the home is where all of this begins, and it's a critical point. Thank you very much. Great point. And by the way, I'm remembering the movie from 2013, Her, where uh, Theodore, played by Joachim Phoenix, fell fell for Samantha, played by Scarlett Johansson, the voice of the operating system. And he was devastated when he found out that she had relationships with millions of other guys who had the operating system. So much for that. I have a prediction of my own. Next Wednesday, November 13th, we'll be back talking about the sound of sweet, sweet music, listening to technology. What's going on with recording? music what's going on with live is ai part of it how are people selling their records promoting their records the role of social media i have a great panel five people next week can't believe it here's my repeat of my call to action for our sponsor zapier right now through november try zapier free go to our link zapier z-a-p-i-e-r.com slash revolution that's z-a-p-i-e-r.com slash revolution for your free 14-day trial special thanks to ryan treasure my co-producer at world talk radio aaron keller our engineer extraordinaire at the business channel and a very very special thanks to my wonderful panel i really enjoyed and appreciated the four of you thank you for bringing your insights your savvy your knowledge your perspectives your opinions to the panel ashwin krishnan at uber knowledge christina podnar at the power of digital policy so important jessica grootman at kaleido insights and fiona mcavoy at you the data.com appreciation to all of you thanks for tuning in to our listeners to technology revolution the future of now Remember, the future of now didn't happen yet. You can go out and be a part of it, so make it happen. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Bye-bye.